Hello, and welcome to Scry. I am the Seer, your host during this glimpse into the darkness and realm of the shadows. In this episode, we will gaze into the obsidian mirror and share four experiences with you. Our first experience comes from C.W. Draco, who encountered something that shouldn't be while out driving with a friend. I didn't call this thing a skinwalker. An old Mexican fruit stand worker slash field worker called it that after I told him my jeep was chased by a man in the area. He also told me they refuse to work late in the area fields because they're not safe at night. They'll work other fields in Oxnard and Ventura, but not the Camarillo Point Mugu area. Just to better describe what my skinwalker looked like, it was a man about six feet tall, red eyes, long wavy hair, and thick straight-haired beard short, but not clean cut. Very muscular. Pants, like jeans. No shirt, and I didn't notice the feet. The screams were like a crazy man screaming in anger. I can't really describe it. It was loud and pissed off. A buddy and I were driving home late from Point Mugu, taking the back roads to the town of Camarillo. There's a fork in the road with a mountain in the middle. Just before the mountain and fork, there's an old bridge. As we're going over the bridge, my buddy points up. We're in an open top Jeep. About 50 feet up the side of the mountain is a shirtless guy climbing up. We can clearly see him in my brights, long hair and all. I have to slow down for the left fork turn, which is directly under the mountainside. As I turn, the climber jumps off the mountainside screaming like a madman. He hits the back side of the jeep, but falls out and hits the road. I hit the brakes. I turn around and see him jump up and screaming like some werewolf insane madman, red eyes, hairy, and definitely not out of shape. He'd seen some time in a gym. I hit the gas and I took off. This guy is now chasing after us. Think of the part in Jurassic Park where the T-Rex is chasing the Jeep. My buddy is yelling, holy fuck, holy fuck this guy's crazy. I'm doing close to 25 to 30 miles per hour and this guy's keeping up with me and is next to me grabbing at my seat. My buddy is out of his seat punching the guy or at least trying to. At about 45 miles per hour, the guy can't keep up. We start to laugh and say we should have just stopped and kicked his ass. Then thought he was probably on PCP or something, so we were probably better off not to mess with him. And neither of us wanted to get bitten by a werewolf on PCP. The red eyes must have been reflections from the brake lights. We both clearly saw those eyes. About that time, my buddy points to the fields next to us, on our left. There's the guy running the same direction as we are going. We laugh 
and I look at the speedometer. 55 miles per hour. Wow, that's fucking insane, I say. And then it hits me. He's running across the field to reach the 90 degree turn before we do. He will get there first, and that corner is very tight. I tell my buddy what I think he's doing. I've taken that turn at 30 in my Nova and lost the back end. I have no idea how fast I can do it in the Jeep. There are no side roads, houses, nothing but fields. Dude, we fight him. Stop the fucking car and let's do this. Man, I really don't want to kill someone, get it? That motherfucker is crazy. Fuck man, the turn is coming up. We got no weapons. The tire iron is locked behind the square. We're in dress blue uniforms. Fuck it, man. Punch it and hope we get there first. I had the Jeep up to 75 miles per hour, and then I had to brake hard and took the turn at 35. The guy was maybe 30 feet behind us, and he then just ran back into the field. We both saw those same red eyes again. We pulled into the parking lot of the Ventura Sheriff's substation in Camarillo. We looked at each other and said, no way they are going to believe us. A couple years later, I pulled over at the fruit stand in the same area. I asked the guy if they've ever picked strawberries at night and told him a shortened story about a guy who chased my car. He looked at me without any emotion and said, you're lucky the skinwalker didn't get you. Those red eyes are a bad thing. We don't work these fields at night. I never told the guy about the red eyes. Skinwalkers, they give me a chill and just go to show that the darkness can corrupt those on this side of the veil and not just beyond it. In our next tale, Bellig tells of an experience that brought his neighbor to his house in a state of panic. Okay, here's the story of the most frightened I've ever been. Somewhere between my junior and senior year in college, I was living in my college house in a small town in southern Minnesota. Three of my housemates were also there that summer. We mostly spent our time working or getting drunk or trying to get laid. You know, the typical awesome college summer. One particular Thursday evening, we four ambled down to the local bar and drank a few pitchers and ate some hot wings. Our waitress was my friend Sarah. Strawberry blonde, blue eyes, 5'2", nice rack. We had all known her since freshman year, so she stood around for a while shooting the breeze. Whatever. About 11 or so, we packed it in and headed back to our house, saying goodnight to Sarah as we headed out the door. My buddies all had to work the next day, so they headed off to bed. I worked night shift at the local hospital that summer, so I was used to being up all night, so I stayed up and watched some TV, figuring I'd fall asleep around dawn, wake up mid-afternoon, and then head to work the following night. At about 2 a.m., there was a frame rattling pounding on our front door, 
and I could hear a woman crying for someone to help her. Just as I reached the front hallway, the door flew open. We never had it locked. And Sarah, our waitress, came running in. She was in boxers and a t-shirt, no shoes. She ran to me and grabbed onto me and I could feel her shaking. My buddies slowly came wandering out of the rooms, wondering what the hell was going on. Eventually, the only sort of story we could get out of Sarah was that someone had been in her house that night. Her housemates were all gone for the summer, so she was living by herself. We told her she needed to call the police right away, but she got a really weird look and refused. She wanted us guys to go back to her house and see if anyone was there. We armed ourselves as best we could. I grabbed my maglite and my buddies had baseball bats and golf clubs. We gave Sarah a pair of flip-flops and a sweatshirt and we walked the five blocks to her house. That's right, she'd run five blocks to our house barefoot. To describe her as freaked out is a bit of an understatement. When we got to her house, her front door was standing wide open. She said she'd thought that she'd left it that way when she'd run out. When we go into the house, at first, everything seemed normal. The rooms were all tidy and clean, no dishes in the sink, no messy laundry on the floor. The windows were down and locked, the air conditioner was running. There was no one in the house. But then we got to Sarah's bedroom. My first thought was literally, there was a tornado in here. Her vertical blinds were bent and twisted into each other. Her drawers were open and clothing strewn about the room. All of her lights were on, her TV was on, her radio was on. Directly in the middle of her floor was a pile of junk, like someone had dumped a drawer on the carpeting. Pens, envelopes, keychains, junk. And it was all, it was all arranged in a geometrically perfect circle about two feet in diameter. My buddy Troy said, let's get the fuck out of here. Back at our house, Sarah told us what had happened. Just thinking of her story now, I've got goosebumps again. Sarah's shift ended at 1 a.m. She'd cleaned her station and then walked back to her house from the bar. She said she'd made sure all the doors and windows were locked, had climbed into bed, watched a little TV, and then she thought she had gone to sleep about 1.45. She didn't think she slept very long. Shortly after falling asleep, Sarah was awakened by a clicking sound. She sat up in bed when she realized the sound was her vertical blinds clicking off of each other as if they were blowing in a breeze. Since she had just checked all the windows, this didn't seem possible. Then she realized her TV was back on, which she had just shut off. Strangely, however, there was no picture just a blank blue screen. Then she saw the little girl. Sarah said she looked like she was about six or seven years old. The little girl was sitting cross-legged on the floor in the middle of Sarah's bedroom. And at first, 
Sarah thought she was playing with a toy or something on the floor. Sarah's first reaction wasn't fear. Her first thought was that this little girl was sleepwalking or something and had managed to get into the house. So she said, Honey, are you okay? Do you know where you are? At the sound of Sarah's voice, the little girl looked up, and she had no eyes. Sarah said she could see through two holes where the little girl's eyes should have been. She could see the room behind her. Sarah jumped up, ran out of the room, out the front door, and to our house. She said she came to our house because she had seen us at the bar that night and knew we were home. Sarah said that while at first she thought the little girl had been playing with a toy on the floor, she now thought the girl had been arranging her stuff in that circle. That perfect circle of junk on the carpet was exactly where the little girl had been sitting. I've run into Sarah several times in the subsequent years. College reunions, once at the state fair. One of my co-workers is a good friend of hers. To this day, Sarah insists that her story is absolutely 100% true. While seeing something like Sarah saw is certainly creepy enough, what is it about seeing that entity as a child that makes it so much more terrifying? Brewster's 99 shares a few experiences that he has had along the Natchez Trace, each enough to make your skin crawl. Throughout my college years, I did a lot of camping on the weekends because I was dating this absolute shit of a woman that would piss me off all the time. My solution to the problem was, of course, to go hide in the woods from time to time. My favorite spot was a place called Rocky Springs, which is off of the Natchez Trace in Mississippi. For those of you who aren't familiar, the Trace was one of the primary Indian highways in the region, and it was subsequently used by settlers and travelers for several hundred years. One of the most popular uses was that flatboaters would travel south in the Mississippi River, and then returned by land on the trace. Obviously, it had seen a crapload of violence, robberies, death, etc., etc., over the years. So there are some pretty neat stories that surround this trail. The place where I would camp was around a national park site, which had campgrounds. Instead of camping in the designated areas, I'd usually walk up a shallow creek for a mile or two and make camp in a wooded area which is pretty isolated. One of the cool things about this particular spot was that it was about a hundred yards from the actual old Natchez Trace. The trace itself is sunken down due to long-term usage over the years, and it is below 6 to 18 feet below ground level in some areas. So anyway, Rocky Springs was, for many years during the latter part of the 18th century and most of the 19th century, 
a thriving community on the old Natchez Trace. Initially, little more than a watering place, the area was first settled around 1790. During these early days, travel on the Trace was by no means safe, and it's interesting to note that it was near Rocky Springs that the infamous John Mason once lived. The settlement grew, and the 1829 election precinct received 90 votes. As early as 1837, there were a number of residents, several stores, and a church. The first private school, the Rocky Springs Academy, opened on the 1st of January, 1838. The area reached a maximum population of about 2,600 plus slaves. In 1860, the population was 2,216, plus about 2,000 slaves, all living within a 25 square mile area. The decline of Rocky Springs began during the Civil War. Then, in 1878, the town was struck by yellow fever. In the early 1900s, the boll weevil destroyed most of the cotton crop. Additionally, burdensome taxes, the town's inaccessibility, and almost 100 years of poor farm management causing erosion of the soft soil created the demise of Rocky Springs. One by one, the citizens began to move away. Finally, in the 1930s, the last store closed. Even the natural springs, for which the town was named, began to dry up. Nowadays, the only things that are left are the abandoned church, which is occasionally used, and a few other artifacts. So anyway, enough history. I'd camped on this spot for several years, and I knew the woods like the back of my hands, so there weren't really any surprises to be had. I had even slept in the old church due to bad thunderstorms without any problems. Here are a couple of the weird stories from the place, though. Story 1 The first year that I ever camped at Rocky Springs regularly was 1994. One weekend, two friends and I decided to trek down there for Halloween. On All Hallows' Eve, we had the bright idea to trudge through the woods down to the old church and graveyard and try to scare ourselves a bit. Being that it was a nice moonlit night, we weren't using any flashlights. When we crested the hill overlooking the old town site, we noticed voices and lights coming from the church area. Thinking that it was probably locals, we hunkered down and went into stealth mode to see what was going on. As we got closer, we began hearing some ungodly chanting and other strange sounds. Of course, our curiosity got the better of us. We finally got close enough to see what was going on, and there was a small group of cloaked and hooded figures dancing around a fire and chanting some sort of gibberish. They were seemingly trying to accomplish something, but only God knows what it was. We stayed and watched those people for about five minutes before we got so damn scared that we took off into the night. I would still love to know what those witches or Satanists were up to. Story 2 The second story is the one where things depart into the supernatural. One weekend, several years after the one mentioned above, 
I decided to test out a new girlfriend with a camping trip. She was a strange one who was from New Orleans and was convinced that she had some sort of ability to see ghosts and spooks. I figured she was just a New Orleans Catholic and a bit crazy. Once again, we decided to go visit the old town site during the middle of the night. This time, from the moment we left camp, I had an uneasy feeling. This was unusual because I'd been back to the old town many times since the witching hour incident and I never had a problem. So we make our way through the woods and I constantly get that feeling that something is watching me. Then I start to hear strange noises and I get the feeling that it isn't just one person, but several. Thinking that we're being followed, I fire up the flashlight and we head into the woods off of the trail, hoping to catch our pursuers. No luck. Since we were above the old trace at this point, we decided to follow it along the high ground till we reached the old town. When we crested the hill, I swear to you that the whole damn town was stretched out below us. My girlfriend turned to me and asked me why there were lanterns and lights since it was supposedly abandoned. I was speechless. She then started freaking out that there was something majorly wrong. In the course of all of this, the temperature also dropped about 20 degrees or so. Shock, maybe. Anyway, as soon as I composed myself, I grabbed her and pulled her back into the woods as soon as possible. To make sure I wasn't crazy, I tied a pack strap to the tree that we were standing at so that I could make sure we were in the right place the next morning. And sure enough, we returned the next morning and there weren't any houses, roads, or anything else that we had seen. Just woods and the old church. That was the most terrified that I've ever been. Story 3 about five years ago, I went back to Rocky Springs when I was coming back from a hearing in Natchez. I decided to just check up on my old stomping grounds and wander around since the hearing had gone kind of badly for my side. When I got to the church, I decided to go check out the graveyard. In the years between my last visit and this one, erosion had washed a few of the graves out of the side of the hill and the coffins were visible. I was looking at one of them, I'm kind of a cemetery fan, and I hear a baby cry out, loudly, very clearly. I immediately froze and started moving towards the sound. Now, I've heard dogs, cats, coons, possums, and all sorts of other animals make babyish sounds, but this was a baby. As I started to make my way towards the sound, it suddenly stopped. I started looking around on the ground from where it sounded like it was coming from, and you guessed it. There was a toppled over tombstone for an infant that had died in the yellow fever epidemic. Anybody want to go camping with me? Sometimes something dark follows people, especially if they have been foolish enough to dabble where they shouldn't have. 
as King Me 22 shares in his experience. I live and grew up in Pleasant Grove, Utah. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, Pleasant Grove was really known for devil worship and stuff like that. Many of you might have heard or even read Jay's journal. It is a journal of the late Jay Barrett and his account of how he got into devil worship and their activities up until he took his own life. He was, I think, 17 when he shot himself in the town park. I was around 10, and I remember the whole event too well. He was buried in the town cemetery, and I was told by my friend's mother, who is a police dispatcher, that they had to move the body and the headstone because of all the gatherings that took place around his grave. I tell you all of that to set up this story. My little sister fell in with the wrong crowd when she was in high school in the early 90s. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Anyway, she had been to a small party, and the guy hosting the party had somehow gotten hold of Jay Barrett's headstone. The party turned out to be trying to contact Jay with an Ouija board, and other scary shit, according to my sister. My sister and two friends finally got out of there and came home. They came in the door, walked up the stairs to where me my mom, and my four-year-old half-sister were watching TV. Upon seeing them, my four-year-old sister latched onto my mom, hit her face, and started bawling. We couldn't figure out what was going on. She was completely hysterical. Finally, my sister's friends decided to leave. She started calming down after that, but it took a while until she would tell us what was the matter. And she explained that a scary, scary man with fire eyes was standing behind my older sister and her friends and only left when they did. None of us saw him, but to hear a four-year-old explain what she saw was the scariest experience of my life. It took weeks until I felt normal. All my hair stands on end every time I think about it. We are grateful for C.W. Draco, Bellig, Brewsters 99, and King Me 22 for sharing their stories with us. All stories on Scry are purported to be true. If you have a story that you would like to share, you can submit it at scrypod.com or leave a voice message with the link provided in the show notes. You can also contact us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have enjoyed listening to this tale, then I welcome you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen from. And please, tell a friend about the show. 
I would also like to thank the wonderfully talented Iran Horrors for our logo. Be sure to check out more of his work at DeviantArt. And if you need some more spectral stories to hold you over until next week, then I'd like to recommend It's Haunted, Now What? A great podcast that will chill your bones. But now it is time that we must end the session and close the gate. And always say goodbye. This is Scry. Scry.